0: This is the Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the
1: inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park.
2: Welcome to this week's edition of the Royal Blue podcast. Here we are back again to reflect on another very eventful weekend around it all, to up club, and joining me three wonderful guests to go through it all. We've got Joe Thomas. Joe, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, not too bad.
0: is tired. It's been a long, a long weekend it has, I think, building up to this Monday afternoon. So I'll be grateful when I get a bit of time to relax in midweek.
2: <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. It's very similar to what the chairman said himself on Friday, of course. He's <laughs> a white guy that's his fault, so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Chris Beasley also joins as well. Chris, how are you, mate? I'm glad. I'm still here, Matt. I'm still here. I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Gav Buckland, how are you doing, Gav?
3: Fine, Matt. Thank
2: you. Just well. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. We will get into it then. Um, like I said, um, just alluded to it there. On Friday night, uh, the weekend started with a bit of a bang, didn't it? Uh, Bill Kenwright, the chairman of Everton, coming out with a response to the All Together Now campaign uh, letter that came out earlier in the week. Kind of caught everybody by surprise a little bit, this, uh, given the timing of the statements, given the nature of the statement. Uh, Joe, I'll, I'll come to you first on it, mate, because it's it's one of them that's just left. Well, certainly the time it left everybody a little bit stunned, not just in the the contents of what was in. Bill Kenwright's open letter, but the timing of it was such a huge game on, on the Saturday.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, it caught me by surprise, just like it did everybody else, to be honest. I was just about to put the, the laptop lid down on a on, on a Friday night and started thinking about getting off. And we obviously had an early start on Saturday ready for... Get down to London for Palace and thinking, well, this is going to be my weekend. This, this this Friday night and and then obviously got wind that got heads up about ten minutes in advance that this was coming and and yeah, it, it blew my Friday night apart and and obviously it's continued to have implications now. Uh, yeah, completely unexpected. Um, timing. Yeah, it was a surprise. Obviously, it comes a, a few days after you know, it was a response to it, a statement that came out a few days earlier. Um, and I think in fairness, timing you know, one thing that we have seen throughout this whole process has been the fact that, you know, protests and things that have been able to take place before games and then fans have been able to get behind the fans so, uh, behind the players so obviously, you know, the chairman putting something out in the build up to a game whilst it doesn't strike you as helpful it would be slightly hypocritical to, you know, to perhaps be too critical on, on, on that front but when you bear that in mind with the content it was just such a such a kind of a bizarre moment, really. You yeah, know, you you just look back on this year so far. For I mean, last year was crazy. For, for ever to so last year was was ridiculous. But if you go back from from January the first, or so I, I I put it back to the Man City game was 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 New Year's Eve, and I remember in the press conference with Frank Lampard just before that, and we have you know the way the press conferences work, I ask questions off camera in a separate bit at the end, and I was asking about. You know, upcoming signings in January, we we knew they were after strikers. Everybody knew they needed forward players. The hope was that as you saw the likes of Chelsea and Liverpool and Wolves start to move early and announce deals, you know, before the transfer window opened, that maybe Everton might have a head start as well. And um, the most speaking term, and basically the news was nobody imminent. Ellis Sims is coming back from Sunderland. I think from, from the moment that kind of broke onwards, it's just been absolute chaos that the club around the club on the pitch off the pitch. And every time it just feels like it's settled down, something seems to emerge just to kind of make it difficult again. And the weird thing, the probably the most frustrating thing I think is that, especially when you bear in mind Evan's situation in terms of football matters is so often the mess seems to be self-generated. You know, it, it's, not, no one's forced the chairman to do this letter at this time, um, and really, you know, I, I know the protests have been going on for for a couple of months now, and I know that you know they've written as such that I don't think that the current divide between the hierarchy at the club and those sections of the fan base that that are most vocal in in their in their discontent, I don't think that's a rift that can necessarily be healed. And certainly not without the club at least starting to make the first steps towards a, a reproachment. Um but what what it had felt was it had felt like it settled down for a couple of weeks where there was almost like a bit of a, a standoff. A of, it reached like a an, an equilibrium whereby the fans could have their protests before the games, the directors wouldn't turn up to the games, and the players would get, you know, the best possible support they could get on the pitch. You know, where they stepped out home or away, the fans have been fantastic. They were again. It's palace they will be for the rest of the season so you just thought maybe things have just reached a point of stability that might be enough to give Everton a, a chance the best chance of of staying up um but then all the bigger issues the wider issues could be addressed at the end of the season Yeah, you know, which obviously is only you know it's five weeks away now and all, albeit Bill Kenwright you know he's he was responding to a letter in the first place and he's obviously got every single right to want to say something we've been calling for communication from him and those around him for a long time he's got you know every right to try and take ownership of the the issues around his health like you know people shouldn't really be speculating about his health no there's nothing nothing was out there um formally um before his his statement and it should really stay that way but Still, to to respond in the way he did at the time he did, I mean, it's deeply unhelpful. I think regard everything that should be happening in and around them at the moment, it should be geared towards what gives Everton the best opportunity to stay in the Premier League. Deal with everything else afterwards, but what gives Everton the best chance to stay in the Premier League? I think in terms of that of that letter, you know, who does it help and how does it help? You know, in terms of the broader scheme of things, I, I, I don't know that it's particularly helpful for the club or the relegation you know, effort. And as a result of that, it just seemed a, a really strange thing to do.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And Chris, I'll come to you next on it because I, I agree with you in the sense that it, it did feel strange. And, you know, we, we've all been around football and football media long enough, and you, you get a sense of how these open letters and how these statements read, the, the structure they take up. And I'm reading that one on Friday, you can sort of hear it in bill kenwright's exact voice couldn't you sort of permeating through the pages onto because it felt like something that and i think that's sort of what's given the impression to a lot of people that this is sort of him acting alone because the language in there the way it's put together the way it's edited it, it just a feel in the way in which you read
1: yeah it certainly didn't come across as. Um... A highly polished um, correspondent that have gone through various um, club um, club channels and I, 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 the word I, I would describe it in many ways is, is, is wild. It was obviously emotional. We all know for better or for worse, So Bill came out very emotional man, and he said that uh, um, a very unfair and uh, inappropriate um, public um, speculation o- over his own personal health, which um, must have um, been particularly galling for him, and there's. As Joe's already Eddie mentioned, that's that kind of um, I wouldn't say went under the radar, but I picked up a lot of traction because of um, the uh, the where it came from, and the, probably would have been better off uh, leaving that alone. But if we put that to one side, and these uh, justifiable grievances over that very particular uh, private matter, um, it's not the sort of um, response you would uh, expect from Chairman of Everton Football Club, and at and a senior and uh, very highly experienced football administrator. Um, over the years at Farhad Machiri, he's been in control of, of the club, um whatever we might think of um Bill Kenright to be he's all, he's often been seen as um the the voice of reason and perhaps somebody to rein Mr. Mashiri in someone who's been very successful in the business world but doesn't have um. His experience in, in, in running a football club. Um, I know everyone was uh, uh, on the same page with Frank Lampard, and that was probably um, quite a unique situation under a Mancini Mangiato appointment. But um, what I understand, um, it was the uh, Bill Kemry who sort of pushed him in the direction of um, Sean Dyche, where Mr. Mancini might have been going for a more of a left field candidate again. So, given um uh, uh, Kemry's background in terms of, like I said there uh, that amount of times he, he spent in, in charge of his football club and um, lifelong support of the football club. I mean, it just seemed, it just like I said, it seemed wild and inappropriate and, and um, unhelpful on every level to, to come out with um, a, a statement like that at any time, at that time. And I don't think anybody at the hierarchy of the football club can speak with any sort of um, smugness at this current situation, given that um Everton are very realistically facing the the prospect of a a first relegation in 72 years. Uh, Never has a football club spent so much to be in this perilous um, position. No, of course, no team. I mean, Joe and I discuss it often when we're on our travels up and down the country. But I know it is a divine right to be in this division. And, uh, you know, the history books don't keep you up there. But given that the the resources that Mr. Mashiri has brought to the club... uh, it's absolutely disgusting that they're in this position. So, to, to, um, to be having that, to speaking to the fans, you know, the, the one element of the football club who can surely be uh, above any sort of blame or finger pointing in this respect, uh, that I just think it was deeply unhelpful and then totally unnecessary.
3: The Royal
1: Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo
3: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, Gary, isn't it? Because this doesn't sort of go back to what Chris was saying a little bit there. I think there are sort of been a few times that maybe Bill is somebody who's sort of keeping machinery in check a little bit. But when you look at the statements, sort of being. What we would assume is somebody going out on their own, um, you know, taking shots a little bit, deviating blame a little bit. It, it feels very much just about the machinery playbook, doesn't it? When you look at what he's done in the past with talks Jim White, whereas it's just about to say. Yeah, it's a website, hasn't
3: it? yeah, just about to say. You know, I was expecting Jim White's face to pop up at some point. Yeah, yeah, I, I just think it's I think the whole thing's very sad. I and mean, people talk about time and the lessons and I just the whole timing of this whole situation from start to finish is 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 not nice. Right. And I said that in, in, in January. I don't you know, I know about the all together now lesson stuff, but a lesson after we just lost the home to follow, which could, you know, drastically increase our chances of uh, going down. You know, I'm not sure that's well timed. Um, and I think Bill's response. I think, yeah. I mean, the thing about the health, I think, was wrong in the in the initial notes, and I think Bill within his rights just to come back and just say, just a couple, of, a paragraph. You know, i have received your notes, and I would be grateful. I've noted the content, but i would be grateful if you, you know, if you would avoid talking about my health, if that's a private, private matter, and and just leave it, leave it at that. And and at least the whole situation is sad. I was thinking about it before. It's a bit like years ago. they did this psychological experiment in Stanford University. And it was people. There was two groups of people. One was in favor of the death penalty. And one was heavily against the death penalty. And what they did to both groups is to give the the, the arguments against what they believed in. And, And they thought that both groups would pull together to get one common view. But what they found is... When they did when they got the the, the the arguments against what they believed in they they became more incensed in their views they became poles apart and and I feel been in a situation here with Everton and the, the various support groups is the more they speak to each other rather than getting common ground they're becoming further and further apart and it's it's like now we're and it's the sad thing for me as a fan is it's like they just firing off artillery shells at each other across the trenches you know you, you said this then come back to say but well, you said that and we believe this and, and ultimately and I think Joe said it, it's not gonna be well it's like this it's not going to be dissolved is it and where we go from here I, I'm not sure and I'm not the time and yet of the lesser five It could be better but the time of this whole saga you know, it's just horrible time remember in a relegation battle for the second year and to you know, to carry on the analogy, I think you'll be grateful if you have a ceasefire here between now and the end of the season because it's just damaging, you know, valuable headspace and stuff that should be doing better things is being filled up with with this. And yeah, I get entirely what the supporters are saying, and you know, supportive groups, not all fans just remember that. So some some supportive groups are saying I get that, but can we just and, and what the club's saying in response, can we just forget about it for now and just concentrate on Evan, keeping and keeping Evan in the division? Because the the worrying thing about aside from the you know, I think Bill probably went a bit too long. He didn't say things that he may now regret is was about the stadium, wasn't it? After five years, six years, we got a heartbound. I know it's I know it was top last week. We we're still looking for money for the stadium. <laughs> That, you know, but that that was if we to take one thing away from it, is that is the key thing, isn't it, really? That we've employed merchant banks in America and stuff, talking new investments, which may you know, if you're an and once invest in effort and you wouldn't invest now, would you? You see what's gonna happen at the end of the season, because you get, get the club for half the value in the summer as what you would now, probably, if we were allocated. And that 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 was the frightening thing for me. Is all this is 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 masking, what are difficult times for the club on and off the pitch. We need the money for to finish off the ground, and yeah, that, that's what we should be concentrating on at board level. So yeah, it's that's just the whole time of, of this for me and you know, I fully support supporters. What they, you know, what they, you know, their belief and what they want and stuff. Fully, you know, appreciate they've got a right. You now also appreciate the clubs got a, you know, should be responding. But to me. Can we just have a ceasefire, please? And just do, do
2: everything together to keep Everton in the Premier League. Yeah, and just to sort of draw a line under this part of the, the show, um, Joe, you've done a piece today sort of covering the some of the responses and some statements from some other fan organisations out there and the protests before the game on Thursday is going to be halted. There's going to be a display to greet the players before the game against... Newcastle so it feels as though for the time being and to, to use Gab's phrase there there is there is going to be a ceasefire given what is you know obviously a huge game coming up on Thursday
0: yeah then that feels like a sensible move um, Yeah, from, from some of the supporters groups that have obviously led the calls and are still leading the, the calls for change yeah there were there were responses to the response um, on Sunday night as the fan groups responded to Bill Kenwright and yeah, you and know, I, I, I think that their response was 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 predictable. Obviously you, you know their concerns they say their concerns were only heightened by the timing and the content of of, of Ken Wright's letter and yeah I can completely understand where they're coming from. Yeah, you know, as, as we've said, the you know the manner of the the letter don't the tone of it, the timing, you know, none of it was particularly helpful to the cause. But that's obviously there's been a, a pre match demonstration against the way the club has been run for you know, pretty much two months now, against every at the beginning of every home game, that march up Speller Lane isn't going to take place on Thursday. Instead, you, know, you have fan groups at the moment planning to to do some sort of player welcome to the stadium. There have been requests or you know, questions. Can since Sean Dyche came, the players no longer arrive together on a team coach; they arrive individually. Uh, I think that's something that Sean Dyche implemented. You know, it's been asked whether they can go back to coaches so we get the scenes like we had last year, which obviously proved so effective and, and was so emotive. Um, that's not going to happen. Uh, the player's going to carry on, you know, arriving at their own accord. But I think there are some fan groups are in, in you know, conversation with the club about doing something that, whereby the, the passion and the backing of the Evans supporters can be made clear to the players as they arrive on the ground, at the ground, and then... Yeah, the hope is that supporters will take their seats 45 minutes before kickoff so that those players can can see the strength and the passion of that back in uh, while, they, while they warm up, which is something that happened against Crystal Palace and was effective. And, yeah, I spoke to James Tarkovsky afterwards and, yeah, he was saying that he was really, really appreciative and that the dressing room was of that. Um, so that's, that's good. Uh, there, there does seem to be a recognition from the latest set of statements um, from supporters that, you know, Always put everyone's always put the club first and what they want best for the club. But everybody wants the best for the club. Some people have different ideas over what that is and how to get it, but everybody wants everyone to do well on the pitch. Yeah, that 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 that's clear. Uh, and I think there's yeah, it's clearly going to be a a massive drive to do everything that the fans can to give the players the best opportunity to deliver on the pitch and keep them in the Premier League club and then maybe as a Premier League club. And then, yeah, when it comes to things like boardroom changes and. Further process down the line that maybe be something that becomes an issue for the summer rather than the next five weeks.
2: Yeah, 100%. And we'll touch upon the game on Thursday a little bit later on. But, Chris, there was an actual football match played on Saturday, uh, 20 minutes into the podcast before we're discussing it. Uh, not. <laughs> Um, but one of those which is a, a little bit of a strange one because I think obviously people were wary of Palace going into the game given how well they've been playing and obviously yeah. comparing how Everton were against Fulham at the weekend. Um, came away with a point when Everton fell into the relegation zone but Everton also pulled the point clear of Forest, gained the points on Leeds. Um, bit of a strange one really. How how are you feeling after events of Celest on Saturday? Yeah, I suppose taking in isolation, it was, a, it was a good away point given how chronically bad
1: Everton's away form is. We've done a piece and went forward to that game and just pointing out that the fact that Everton had not only obviously won three away games in the two seasons since crowds came back, which is the worst of all the clubs who have competed in both those seasons, last season and this season in the Premier League, less than half as many away victories as the next worst um, um, clubs in that respect, which is Southampton and Leeds United. Uh, so, taking in isolation, f- facing Rodgers, resurgent Crystal Palace, 1-3 on the spin, a, a-, a draw on the road, is it- is a decent enough result. But as you point out, Matt, um, despite over- some other results going Everton's way, and ultimately, uh, uh see so not Nottingham Forest losing that at Anfield there, and then um, obviously Leeds are- Fulham, the fact that Leicester came back and won, put Everton back into um, the bottom fridge, so it's not a game we'll live long in, in the memories. Um, low, low on incident other than Mason Holgate's um, sending off, and that's an old thing to consider the last 10 minutes. Everton were obviously down to 10 men, so yeah, taking it out was, isolation, it was a decent away point, if not a very exciting encounter for us and all those travel Evertonians um, to watch just fair at the moment. Now, I'm not getting too ahead of myself, and we'll, we'll go on to this, but we're getting to the point now that so many um, head-to-heads coming up with these teams at the bottom. Just wonder how many one-points at a time is going to be good now. Going forward, I mean, given, if Everton had got the win, the whole win against Fulham that we're all kind of expecting, that point at Crystal Palace will look a lot more rosier, but the, the fact that he didn't get the result at Fulham, it, it kind of does seem leave a lot more question marks going forward. These, these one-points are quickly, very quickly going to have to turn into three points.
2: The Royal Blue podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, 100%. And I don't know about you, got, but I was I was watching that at the weekend and doing aspects of the performance before were quite good in the main. You know, I think Everton, in the main, did okay, you know, calming the influence of Eze and Elise, although they did have little flashes in the game. And, and on the hour mark, I, I was sitting there thinking this this game's there for. For the win and you know we can get some fresh legs on somebody different in attack and then you turn to the bench and there's not really yeah. anything there and it just felt like a football match that if everton had one or two attacking options on the bench that were you know moderate premier league players that were proven at this level that then we really could have perhaps gone and won well, that one but we have to sort of battle through to the end and then and then obviously major hogar gets sent off and then you, you're clinging on for a for a draw then
3: yeah. yeah, I mean, we clung on well if there's such a phrase, didn't we, really, um, to, to be honest with you. Yeah. I got the impression on Saturday quite early on, that Palace quite happy for a point. D- don't know about you, but I didn't think they forced it. I think Cobb shouldn't be a bit of a pragmatic safety first manager. And I'm thinking after winning today, the they just want to get, get themselves out of the you know relegation area. Is, you know the possibility of that base as quickly as possible and I think in that context is quite happy for a point and, and, and uh, I think there was some good points I think well for the start we showed a better attitude than what we did in the second half against Fulham that was a bonus I think that was the fear we were talking about was on Friday you know that's what we wanted to see at least show that you you, you know you care and that you you know that you've got a commitment to, to stay up so that was the start good defence we were quite sad I think Palace were doing have two shots on target was it yeah and I think we showed, uh, showed good resilience when we did go down to 10 men. So those are the positives, the thoughts. James Garner had a decent first half as well. And and as a positive, I'm sure we could talk about was Calvert-Lewin. Uh, the, the downside to that, matters what I spoke about on Friday on the part of this. It's, it's like right, Calvert-Lewin coming back, but we've got nobody to create. Create chances or a lack of alternative attacking options to take the weight off the shoulders. Then it's, He's a little bit wicked coming come on back. And I think you saw that on, on Saturday. The paucity of, of attack and threat that we have is reflected in 24 goals in 32 matches, isn't it, really? And you are right to suspect that a team with, with more attack and firepower might have got something more than, a, than a, just a point of power on Saturday, given that they, they set
2: up. And I think we're just quite happy to, to get a point of this side. Yeah, Joe. I mean, that, that's where I was going to go. The, obviously, the big positive news was, was Dominic Carvalho and coming through that game, playing 90 minutes or, or very close to, to 90 minutes, and hopefully, fingers crossed, coming through unscathed. <laughs> obviously, you have got Dyche's press conference in the week. But um, well, you know, G-Gabby, Gabby's right, isn't he? You know, Dominic Carvalho has evolved into a, a penalty box player who relies on good service to, to get his goals and. Those options, those supply lines that he relied on so much when he was at his best at Everton have gradually been whittled away down the years. But I think, for me, trying to stay positive with this, there were a couple of moments where he did just sort of create moments out of nothing by just being bigger and stronger than the defender. There's that one which he pulled down out of nowhere in the second half and flashed the shot just wide. So, I mean, it it sounds very obvious to say, but he's just a huge upgrade, isn't he? I want Everton about there so far.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, you could tell there was a clear difference in Everton on Saturday, by virtue of just having him up front, you know, just having someone that you know, he lost a lot of aerial duels, but he's at least competitive in them, yeah, you know, even the one that he lost, even even the big chance that he had was started with him okay, he lost the the, the battle against the centre defender from um, Jordan Pickford's long ball, but what he did do was cause enough problem for it not to be a, a comfortable header away, and as a result of that, there was no distance on it it fell to Alex Iwobi, he then teased He's up Calvert Lewin and things like that just make a, a bit of a difference because, you know, in, in all three of the options, the alternative options that Evan have had in his absence under show, you know, whether it be Damari Gray, Neil Mopay, or, or Ella Sims, none of them really occupy defenders in the same way. None of them give him, you know, we saw this against against Arsenal in the home win, just first game. You know, he's just someone there that it just means that they just always have to be switched on, always have to be concentrating. It's a distraction. As a result of that, you know, it, you know, it's it's not only a line of attack for him; it's a first line of defence and that's that's really helpful. You know, I thought it was a promising return, promising because he, he played 90 minutes after the game, Deitch said he came off unscathed um, and I thought, yeah, you know, that chance, I mean, the turn was fantastic. I mean, that would really, really would have been a, you know, had he scored the chance, it would, it would have been some goal and I think we just saw there the one thing that we haven't seen for so long and that is. The fact that when you've got Dominic calvert up top, you know, the I'm not going to say anything is possible, but but more a lot more things are possible of happening for Everton when he's up top than than with with the other type. Well, they haven't got another type time. We've got the strikers up there, and and really, yeah, in that chance we saw the best glimpse of Evans' route to survival if there's going to be one this season. That is, you know, getting it up there and. Dominic Cavaloon somehow producing something either technically brilliant or just ruthless in front of goal you know it's not going to take many pieces of magic to keep an Everton or a Leeds or a Nottingham Forest or a Leicester City in the Premier League you know if if any of those sides can find two wins in their final six or seven games that will be a foundation for a, a really strong effort to stay out of the the, the bottom three if that happens and yeah you know, we know that Deitch's sides can be difficult to break down. I know the defensive stats aren't very good recently. Um and even then there's a lot of reliance on Jordan Pickford. But you know Jordan Pickford's in very good form at the minute and he is one of the best goalkeepers in the world. So I mean, you know, having a good goalkeeper isn't luck. So you know, Evan just needs someone up there. If they can get the, if they can get that one goal, if they can take that one opportunity there's a chance like we saw against Brentford like we saw against Leeds like we saw against Arsenal they can hold on for those crucial three points and that moment of magic or that moment of just a, a, that clinical moment that moment of precision at the right time is far more likely to happen with Dominic lewin on the pitch than it is without it
2: yeah and final final points on on this game Um, Chris obviously mentioned Hallgate's got a red card late on second bookable offense. Yeah. I think both of the both of them are quite harsh in the main, but nevertheless, probably a little bit rash from Mason as well. But the main talking points after the game seems to have been why does Sean Dice leave him on the, the pitch for as long as he did? Because not only was he having a, a pretty tough time against IU playing out on the left wing. It, it just felt to me as though a player who's not played for a long time, playing out of position, surely on sixty seventy, you're looking to replace him anyway. So it's a to leave him on the pitch for that long, gone a yellow card when he was struggling. It just felt like that the manager could have maybe acted a bit quicker there.
1: Yeah, it does seem to be to one of the the uh main points with, with Deitch is uh, his reluctance with substitutes and to go earlier with them. But yeah, I mean, I'd say they it was soft, but they were silly, they were unnecessary but Certainly, at the first one, he shoved him to the ground, then he was like, obviously oh, he's in the wide area and a bit silly really and then the, when he's on, he's walking that disciplinary side rope anyway, I mean, he's got to be very careful, don't go to ground, so to do to get an out, Pickford played him into a bit of trouble, because there was one thing, as much as Pickford made that great save when it mattered on Saturday, thought he was a bit He was a bit too eager with his kicking, his distribution at times, getting it out too quickly before Everton was set, and he sometimes played his, his, his outfield teammates into trouble, and that was the case there, because the ball bounced straight back down the pitch again, and Holgate's on the back foot, and the will yeah, get into trouble. But yeah, he's, when he's on a booking, he's got to be careful. But yeah, the, it was given that he had Nathan Patterson, who a lot of us did to step in for Ben Godfrey, who obviously had a, a torrid time last couple of weeks and then picked up, it actually went classed as a concussion, wasn't it, um, when he went off against Fulham. So no surprise that Godfrey made way, but I think a lot of us were expected to see Nathan Patterson. And certainly when, when Holgate was struggling on the yellow card, the uh, you know, maybe thought that I, um, either Godfrey's who came in after the sending off or, or um Patterson would have stepped in at some point
2: yeah and of course he will be available for the game on Thursday now and as we've already mentioned earlier in the show it is absolutely huge Newcastle coming to Goodison Park, Newcastle fresh off the back of scoring 6 goals against Tottenham Hotspur, 5 in the first 20 minutes um, Gav, it's, it's absolutely enormous game for Everton, isn't it? One of three home games you've got left this season, of course, one of which is against Manchester City. But again, try to be positive. It, it feels to me like all the ingredients are there for a big Goodison Park night. It's going to be under the lights. There's going to be a player welcome. And we've got a returning, in inverted commas, villain coming back to Goodison Park in Anthony Gordon as well. So, Goodison yeah. should be hostile the fans should be up for it. It's just whether the players can sort of seize on that because it feels like all the ingredients are there for, for it to be a good one. Yeah,
3: the turn of some plastic dinosaurs as well. Um, <laughs> I mean, as somebody said, you know, rather despondently yesterday, it could be the last Premier League game with the likes of Godson, So let's hope that's not the the case. Yeah, I'm just wondering whether you'll play Gordon on there. Tasty, by the way. I just wonder if, if I was at the hour, I would just keep them on the bench for the ninety minutes. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put him on. It'd be hard to, speak
2: to see you know, had won six one in fairness. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think um,
3: yeah, it's, it's. I'm trying to think. It's not similar to last season. I Think Newcastle in a far better place. Than what the when be played in. Was it February? Was it? What I would say is when we've been up against a little bit of good it's in this season, under dice, we've dragged results. I was having me, I'm thinking Arsenal at the top of the table, Brentford Bad that long unbeaten run. Both got beat. And I think Newcastle comes into that category, doesn't it, really? And however, they'll you know, 1-6. I mean, Spurs are absolutely well. <laughs> they need it. I mean, you know, if you win a 5-0 after 20 minutes, you know that something's gone wrong with the opposition, isn't it? It's not you. And uh, yeah, I suspect some yesterday was down to Spurs being absolutely dreadful. And also I think we need to bear in mind on Newcastle's previous way out. Was it did they ship three three fill, was it? Was it three nil, was it, Billet? Yeah, could have been a lot um, more as well. The yeah, and, and and yeah, Newcastle, yeah, Newcastle could have got a proper six-nil pace in there themselves. So we we need to be focusing on their villa performance of the Spurs performance, I think. And it's an eminently win- winnable game. I think Thursday, whether we can win it, goes back to what I was just saying there. We need forward, forward firepower, and we will hopefully have a couple of players back who's missed, who've been missing the last couple of games and whose absence has been, you know, sorely missed. The Royal Blue Podcast from the
0: Liverpool Echo.
2: Yeah, that's it, isn't it, Joe? You know, we said obviously Major Hallgate will be missing, but massive positive that Abdelai Dekore is going to be back given how important he was under Dyche early on. Amadou Anana and Seamus Coleman were still waiting for fitness updates on, on both of them as well. But, you know, I saw you saying earlier in the week that all of a sudden we're getting quite close again to that blueprint that Dice was able to start his everything career with against Arsenal that worked so well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you yeah, know, there are some reasons to be positive going to into is game you know, obviously the crowd will be phenomenal you know as, as, as they often are and you've got Dominic Calvert Lewin undoubtedly the best striker at the club he's got 90 minutes of his legs now We've got Abdelaide Cory the man whose suspension has just thrown the whole Dah blueprint completely out of sync you know I think the you know hindsight tells us that 442 was the wrong move. Um, both against Manchester United and Fulham, but yeah, we have to be fair to Deitch and say he was forced into a recalibration of a side that was proving more effective at the very least than than it had done at any other point probably for for, for the last year. So I've died the is back. It looks it sounds as if Amadou Anano is gonna be back. You know, Amadou Anano was thinking that he might be in contention, you know, on Thursday. Obviously he didn't make it. I mean, Sean Deitch after the game against against Palace said they were hopeful of him being back for Thursday. You know, I suspect he probably will be. Uh, I think Seamus Coleman might be a little bit more touch and go, and obviously that creates some issues because that's an issue that's that's become a very notable trouble spot for Everton in the absence of, uh, of Seamus Coleman. Godfrey hasn't worked there. Holgate didn't work there. In my view: Patterson's got to be given the chance, but yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, you know, Dodge has got his plan A back and whether or not that's enough for Everton, we'll have to wait and see whether or not the plan a is good enough to keep them up. I don't know, but it has to be a positive that he's got those options now uh, because he has had them for the last few weeks and we've seen that with, you know, it's, it's, it's borne out in the results and the performances. So, you know, obviously... i I must admit going into this weekend i almost viewed newcastle home as a more likely win than palace away i just thought with palace's form evan's away uh form and 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 another kind of the way in which palace could attack through Eze and through elise uh combined with the fact that yeah snooki just just, it felt like a winnable game it feels like a big night goodison and evan come up trumps on big nights at goodison so often um but i wasn't particularly enamored when you know i was Working yesterday and listening to the goals raining against against Spurs. I think probably the problem that Everton have got is the Their best side is starting to come back together But it's doing so at a time When the fixture list gets harder and that's that's a problem I think because When you look at these next four games I think maybe three or four weeks ago, I was looking at this period and thinking that this was a an opportunity for Evan to a, to a certain extent. I, I thought Leicester would have pulled clear by now and said they got further into trouble. Um, I thought the yeah you know, a couple of weeks ago it looked like Arsenal were cr- cruising to the title, but it looked like we would probably be at a point where in a fortnight's time, Arsenal would be you know have maintained that six point gap with. Four games ago, when City have got a really difficult Champions League semi final against Madrid, you know I could see a scenario where Everton away would be the least important of their games during that that time period. Brighton's resurgence mixed with the likes of Spurs is down means all of a sudden, yeah, they're a real Europe. It's not just a Europa Conference spot that's there for them. There's, yeah, possibly not quite a Champions League run, but yeah, there's that fifth space is open to them if they if they want it and they're on they're on form. So and obviously the Leicester game is you know it's imp- impossible to overhype that one and then yeah Newcastle again yeah you know, they hit a little bit of average form I thought they would have had top four so not by now yeah you know, they're gonna they're probably gonna make it but they could do with a win on Thursday just to you know help just help sort that out so yeah you know, the four games against teams that want to beat Everton I think and that's going to be problematic. So, you yeah, know, I look at those last two games this season and I think Wolves and Bournemouth, as, as much as they are stumbling towards the, the magic line of safety, it looks like they have more forward momentum than, you know, the teams beneath them. And that includes Everton. So I suspect that they will both be safe by the time that Everton play them. And I'd like to think that, you know, an Everton side needing everything it can fighting to stay up against those at the end of the season could pick up three or four points. But, um, I think what Everton need to do is make sure that they're still in contention when it comes to those last two games of the season. Having all these players back will be crucial, but they can't leave the need for a win that that long. It's got to come from somewhere and given the away form and given that the next home game's against City. Yeah, you know, Newcastle at home, you know, it has probably has to be the one, I think, really. It's the last opportunity for Everton to keep this in the keep their fate in their own hands, I think. Um or the last realistic opportunity for them to do so. So they go and win away at Leicester or beat City at home and then they do that. But, yeah, bearing in mind their records against both and their record away from home and what's at stake in the players that the mm-hmm. on the pitch, you know, it, it probably goes right to the wire anyway. But if they don't beat Newcastle, having not beat Palace or Fulham, if they don't win on Thursday, I don't see this as being anything other than a really kind of nervy end to the season that goes right to the wire.
2: Yeah, and Chris, i already mentioned that last year, a minute winner from Alex Lovie in this fixture. Everton had, had 10 men. and I mean, the, the Just Stop Oil uh, lads and girls have been out this week, haven't they, at the Crucible, uh, doing the business disrupting play. Yeah, it's a time to get Lily McKenzie back in just in case things aren't going right for Everton. <laughs> get him on standby for, for the big moments. Wow. But yeah, I remember the 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 um the protest down. at you were
1: in the park, and that was a famous win under the lights, wasn't it? One nil, like uh, Man City, uh, Darren Gibson. So I don't know. Uh, maybe maybe we'll send uh, Joe out there with his t-shirt on. I don't know. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I think the situation's going to um, crystallize a lot over these next two fixtures, either for better or for worse. Um, I I think um, it 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 really, it really. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it sort of dilutes it when you keep saying like that that they're all must wins and stuff like that. I mean, Joe makes a good, a good point about all those reasons those other teams have got to play for. But I think um, playing for the team who's had more seasons in the English top flight than any other and trying to avoid that first relegation in seventy two years is a pretty big thing for Everton's players to play for as well as as, as those Brighton players might be going for Europa League football, etc. So, yeah, they've got to be motivated. As Gav mentioned as well. That Horrible prospects of being this being the last game under the lights, uh, and top flight like football for Goodison Park. We don't want that to be, uh, um, uh, the case. I mean, there's so many re- reasons. There. I think Everton be up for it. I remember actually giving Alex the a 10 on my match on my player ratings that night after uh, after that one. Uh, I think, yeah, given that the magnitude of it, that um, uh, that late night where, um, well, if it if it has to be another one like that, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd take that now, you know. But uh, yeah, and any sort of victory, uh, it's, it's got to be Everton um, uh, focusing on, on this game to get points on the board because I I, I think that, uh, that, like I said, the situation will crystallise a lot over this next two fixtures with this and then going to Leicester City will probably have a, a much better idea uh, for better or
2: for worse which way this is come and go. Right, it is that time. Predictions... Gab, I'll comes to you first, may yeah, another 3-0 home win. Like you like predicted for the full up oh, I'm yeah. not gonna live this down, am I? I'm not gonna live this down. Um, can
3: I just say would the the the, the, the stock oil protesters be better on stand mode rather than on standby? Um <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I I was interested to see by the way, I was confident to see, you know, off to do that, chances of getting alligator percentage every. Every week, we, our chances have gone down. Haven't we? After the weekend, they've gone um, sorry, gone up of staying in the division. I think it was fifty five percent to stay in the Premier League before the weekend. We're now fifty seven percent to stay in the Premier League. So, so that Wouldn't on be- that basis, it was a good points. Yeah, but I, I think uh, uh, I I'm going to go one eleven for the simple reason that I won all the say too often. And I'm never going to say 3-0 ever again. (laughs) Um, And it's 1-0 to Evan. And uh, hopefully it won't be our last game under lights in the Premier League. I'm sure it won't. But hopefully we get something similar to the the atmosphere last year, which was a a real cracker, wasn't it? And uh, do do we need both courses, do you think? Well, you know, just need boats.
2: Yeah, look. Absolutely, yeah. If, if yeah. Yeah. Out, well, yeah. Dominate, you think that, well, Newcastle just just give Louis the shells.
0: Well, that
2: yeah. yeah, yeah. no, no. yeah. yeah. no, one Right
3: now. Yeah, that said absolutely no reason at all than it reminds me last season. Joe, how are you, mate? Um, I'm going to go for an Everton win because
0: cause it has to happen. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm sticking with Gab. I'm going, going for a, a really encouraging, you know, back to the wall, but. Everton turn up. Calvert-Lewin gets the goal. Deitch's men hold on. Gladys Street goes nuts at the end. 1-0 to yeah, Newcastle freezing under the lights once again. <laughs> Chris? I don't know about that. We froze under the lights of St. James's when we we'd
1: we, uh Me and Joe, it was very cold that evening. I could have But you. Um, yeah, there'll be positive. Uh, a hat-trick of 1-0 predictions. are going to go 1-0 as well. Everton. How
2: about you, Matt? Do you know what? Do you know what? I'm also going to say 1-0 because I think the last time us four were on a pod together it was before the Brentford yeah. game at Goodison. And that, that that one, we all predicted that Everton would win 1-0. And it transpired yeah. that Everton won 1-0. So I'm going to go 1-0 but the added caveat that I was going to for diving. There you go. Make it even sweeter, nice, at Goodison Park. Nice. <laughs> we will leave it there anyway. Uh, cheers to Joe, Chris, and Gav. Uh, We'll be back on Friday to reflect on what is a huge night at Cuddleson on Thursday. Fingers crossed, the Blues get the job done. We will see you on the other side.
3: You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.